0: Very warm welcome to all our listeners. This is Radio Maria, and this is our hour of catechesis. And today, we have the pleasure of starting a new series that will be run by Maryvale Institute. And um, to start that series off, I have joining me today, presenting the first of the series of talks, um, Dr. Catherine Knowles. Hello. Dr. Knowles.
1: Hello, Tim, it's very good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: It's very lovely to have you as well. And I wonder, before we start, if you might just say um, a few words about um, yourself and also a few words about the Maryvale Institute for those who've never heard anything about
1: it. Okay, well, I'm Dr. Catherine Knowles. I'm the program director and Masters in Catholic Applied Theology at Maryvale Institute in Birmingham, the Archdiocese of Birmingham. Maryvale started in the 1980s very much in the vision of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman to develop an educated laity. And the programs we offer at Maryvale are a Bachelor of Divinity, an MA in Catholic Applied Theology, a BA in Philosophy, and students can also go on to do a PhD. Our programmes are part-time distance learning, which suits a lot of people who are working full-time, and then they can have the pleasure of studying in their own time. And they're supported really by a core team of staff and associate staff, experts in each of their subject. And we arrange it so that students have three residentials a year, for example, on the master's programme, two-and-a-half-year programme, they would have three residentials, or during lockdown, we've developed these into online study weekends. The students like it very much and very suited to their particular needs. We continue that into the future with many of our students, um, going through the bachelor, the master's, and into the PhD program. We also offer, as well, further education courses, certificates in catechesis, and other areas. That's
0: wonderful. So if I have you correctly, that people can do um, like a, a proper degree, but there's also courses that are smaller courses in catechesis and things like that. So if I am, for example, if I were... A running a catechism course, an RCIA course in a church, I might go onto the Maryvale website and find something that could help equip me for doing that um, better. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And some students start by doing a certificate and then, in fact, go on to do the Bachelor of Divinity because it's part time. For example, the Bachelor of Divinity will be five years part time distance learning. And the MA, as I said, is two and a half years mm. distance learning.
0: Well, it's it's so wonderful to have you doing this series of talks with us. And so, so far, we've got you down for six, which I'm very excited about. And um, the next one will be same time next week um And myself and our priest director, Father Toby, have both studied through maryvale and and can say uh, we can vouch for how much we um learnt from it and um the the high standard of uh, of education that comes from from maryvale but um I think it's it's time we get we get on to the talk itself that you have for today, and um the topic that you're doing is is man's capacity for God do we need to search? Um, I wonder if you'd begin with a prayer for us,
1: um, Dr. Catherine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, pray for us. St. Paul Nwicky, pray for us. Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thinking of the well-known quote of Saint Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Would I have become a Catholic if I hadn't been born into a Catholic family? So today I'm going to look at man's desire for God, what it is, why we have it, the nature of God, can we prove God exists, how we come to know God and why that can be challenging. And I'll touch on the end of what it all means for us today in the context of evangelisation. There are those who say, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. And this is true. Once baptised into the Catholic faith, we can't reverse baptism. However, a baptised person may not have had much further contact with the Catholic Church after baptism, so that initial contact with the faith has not been able to develop. But that first sacrament, baptism, gives to the person an input of God's grace, and as we know, a sacrament is a signpost pointing us towards God. But it is efficacious in that that grace acts within us, pointing us more or turning us more towards God without us really having to do anything. And that is one of the greatest things about the sacraments within the Catholic Church. An example of this might be found in a conversation I had over 20 years ago with a Franciscan friar of the Renewal. He had just come to London from New York where they were continuing their work with the people living on the streets. I remarked that it must be much easier in London bringing people to God than in New York. At that time in New York, It was only at the very early stages of what in the end turned out to be a successful crime reduction policy. He said, oh no, it's much easier in New York than London because many of the people living on the streets come from a Catholic or Jewish background and have heard of God. In London, people who live on the streets were very unlikely to have heard of God. An interesting conversation which I often think about if I watch the programme on the American Catholic TV channel about people becoming Catholics. The vast majority have come from some religious background, usually Christian, although not always, but very rarely from no religious background. So we might ask, what is it that makes people turn towards God? especially if they have never heard of him or have had no contact with him. Equally, how might they do that and do they need to search? Looking firstly at that first question, what makes people turn towards God? Well, we are born with a desire for God written in the human heart. So we come into this world created by God with knowledge of God and his law, which we call natural law written on the heart. We are made by God in his image and in his likeness. So God orients us towards himself. We could say that this desire for God is the small spark that God puts within us in our heart but we often need something external to that to bring this alive within us. We see in Paul's letter to the Romans, when he speaks of the natural law, put in our hearts by God when we are created. When Gentiles who have not the law do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law they show what the law requires is written on their hearts. So that is, they show they know his law when they instinctively obey it without ever having heard it. So let us look what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, it is in Christ the image of the invisible God, that man has been created in the image and likeness of the creator. And that divine image is present inborn in every man. So when we are born, we have that divine image in us. It is in Christ, Redeemer and Saviour, that that divine image disfigured in man by the first sin has been restored to its original beauty and ennobled by the grace of God. Gordium et spes explains this. So made in the image of God, means man being able to know and to love his creator. So these two spiritual capacities are the way man is most recognisable as God's image. Likeness is the way man grows in and becomes more holy, more like God, which on earth is always imperfect. So because of sin, man then is no longer in the likeness of his creator. And the image of God in man is wounded or disfigured, but it's not destroyed. So the image is good and permanent, but we must let the likeness be restored in us by Christ. So looking more closely at man, what is he exactly? Well, he is a unity of body and soul, where the soul is the innermost part of man and which is most especially in God's image. Body and soul united, forming a single nature, the human body animated by a spiritual soul. The image is found in the soul according as the soul turns towards God or it possesses a nature that enables it to turn towards God. So in summary, at this point, we see man created by God in his image and likeness and so created born with a desire for God and an inner natural law. Let us look now a little bit at the creator, what is God? This will give us some idea of what our nature is like. We say God is goodness, truth, and beauty. This notion of God as good, true, and beautiful became part of the Christian understanding of God from around about the fifth century on, where God is good, true and beautiful, that is, all truth is God's truth, all goodness is God's goodness, and all beauty is God's beauty. Peter Kreef says everything that exists is in some way, true, good, beautiful to varying degrees. And humans, because of the image of God, are able to know the truth, desire the good, and love the beautiful. But because of the fall into sin, it disordered man's natural capacity to be able to do this. And Kreeft, in fact, goes on to say, truth trumps both goodness and beauty. But no matter how beautiful or good something is, if we do not believe it true, then we let it go. So, in summary, at this point, we naturally have within us the this desire for God, who is goodness, truth, and beauty, and to a degree, we also have that. We have his law, the natural law, written on our hearts, which later became embodied in the Ten Commandments. And even though we have this, we're not necessarily aware of it. So people do search for God, but not aware that is what they're searching for. We see this throughout history really in the beliefs and rituals and religious expression of various peoples or groups through the ages. When we talk about religions, we refer to something or someone that people hold in reverence. So we have seen in earlier times when cultures were less developed, People or groups calling on their God or their gods when they were afraid that the crops would fail or fear of hunger or sickness. So we can see how man is naturally a religious being, that is, he holds someone or something in reverence. But to turn to God, man needs more help. We have this natural law written on our hearts, but it's still not enough. We have this written in stone, the Ten Commandments given to God, given by God to Moses, referred to as the old law and still not enough. So we have revelation, the incarnation of God, the Son, Jesus, bringing this new law embodied by the Beatitudes, fulfilling the old law and giving us the Holy Spirit as our guide and help. So everyone in some way is seeking truth and the meaning of life, however wayward it may seem to another person. And this is driven by a desire for God, written by God into humanity to seek him out. And this is largely rooted in human reason. Now I'm going to stop at that point. So you have a break coming up and after the break, I'm going to look at what we can learn from the proofs of God's existence.
0: Yes, thank you, Dr. Catherine. Um, I just would like to take this opportunity before we go to the music break to remind our listeners that in the second half of this uh, talk, there will be an opportunity if you have any questions to call in and ask. Um, the number to dial is zero one two two three three seven five five six four. That's zero one two two three three seven five five six four. And we do um love to have callers and um it it helps our um speakers, k- keeps them on their toes. And um it uh yeah, any questions that you have that may arise during this talk, just pencil them down and call in and we'd love to hear from you. Here is a song from um the film Brother Sun Sister Moon, sung by Donovan, the the film about um St. Francis of Assisi.
2: Brother Sun and Sister Moon, I seldom see you, seldom hear your tune. Preoccupied. With selfish misery the wind and sister air Open my eyes to visions pure and fair That I may see the glory around I am part, I feel his love awakening my heart, brother son and sister moon. In love with all that I survey, I am God's creature, of Him I am part. I feel His love awakening my heart, brother, son, and sister. In love with all that I
0: Hello to all our listeners. This is Radio Maria, and this is our hour of catechesis. And um, we've had the privilege of listening to uh, Doctor Catherine Knowles, who is talking to us about um, our search for God. And um, if I could hand over to you again for the second part of your talk, Dr. Catherine.
1: Thank you, Tim. So it's a worldwide enigma. Does God exist? St. Thomas Aquinas answers this with five simple proofs. So the first of these, there must be an unchangeable first mover to start everything going. Saint Thomas calls it God. There must be, secondly, an uncaused first cause. Nothing in existence comes into existence by its own doing. Thirdly, there must be a necessary being on which existence of things is dependent. For example, when something stops existing, the rest of the world keeps going. Therefore, the reason the world continues to exist is because God, the one necessary being, continues to keep it in existence. Fourthly, gradation or a spectrum. We see a spectrum or grades for everything in the world. For example, I will say that painting is better than that one or we make a choice, which is the better choice. So we need a standard by which to judge things. How can we say good, better, best? We need something which is perfectly true, perfectly good and perfectly beautiful. And that standard is God. And finally, the fifth point St. Thomas Aquinas makes, design. There is an intelligent design in the way the world works. We can think of gravity, the weather, nature. It's precise. So this design could not have randomly happened. The world needs an intelligent designer for everything to work properly. So let's think about this list. In this list, there must be one or two that will resonate with the person's sense of reason and accepting the truth of the existence of God. But yet, it doesn't always happen. And interestingly, everyone is on a quest for truth, as we are, as that desire is written on the heart. So some non-Christians take these five proofs, turn them on their head, and use them as proofs to show why God doesn't exist. So the church teaches, because we are created in the image of God, we can know God from the created world and the natural light of human reason. If this is the case, we might say, why are more people not coming to know God through the light of reason alone? Well, the problem lies really in the human condition. Even though human reason is capable through its own natural power of obtaining a true and certain knowledge of God and of the natural law written in our hearts by God, our creator, there are many obstacles which prevent reason from effective and fruitful use of this inborn faculty of reason. We can see, firstly, one of the issues, God is not visible. He is not tangible. If we think of science with its objectivity, we need to be able to touch it, to see it. And today we need to measure it. So the first obstacle. And then if one does come to know God and does want to live by God, then it calls for some renouncing of the things of this world handing over or trusting in god and some may feel that having this conviction of god and living accordingly may affect their livelihood that is the way they earn their living or it may not be fashionable amongst friends or colleagues to be a religious person or it could be against the law of the land equally the human mind the faculty of reason can be hindered or impeded or obstructed in its reasoning or thought process in attaining such truth, that is, in attaining the certainty of truth, of God. God is truth. It could also be in the senses. What somebody hears or what they read may influence them, the way they think. If we think, for example, the secular culture around us is that shouting with a stronger voice than the voice of God within the person. Or it could be hampered by our desires for this material world and the goals we set based on money or ambition. Not that any of these are bad in themselves, they're not, but we're better people when we view this world with God at our centre, we get everything into perspective. It could be through our own sin, the way we treat others? Do we forgive or bear grudges? In other words, do we live a good life or otherwise? What we do, what we say, what we think on a day-to-day basis, what we read, what we watch on TV, what we speak about, all of these influence our ability to use our faculty of reason to come to know God. So for these reasons, we needed revelation in Jesus Christ, the new law embodied by the Beatitudes and the gift of the Holy Spirit to enlighten and guide us. And through revelation, it wasn't just to show us God whom we couldn't find or know so easily ourselves, but also to show us how to live through a grasp of religious and moral truths knowing where we come from, where we're going to, and basically how to get there. It doesn't mean we can't live what others might term a meaningful life without God. It is just more imperfect than it might be with God. So, coming back to my original question, do we need to search for God? In one way, no. As God watches over us and searches us out, even though we may not be aware of it, there is merely a thin veil between us and God. But at the same time, we do need an openness, an interior openness to God. On another level, God gave us free will to choose or not choose him. He wants us to search and find him. And we have the example of this in one of the Davidic Psalms, King David's Psalm 53. God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. So let's think, do we need to search? In summary, what do we know so far? We know we are born with a desire for God and the natural law in our hearts. We're given the gift of the faculty of reason. We're given a beautiful natural world which needs a creator and a sustainer. We are given free will. And we know our hearts are restless till they rest in God because he created us, suggesting that man's quest for happiness is truly found in God. So we do need to search for God, to be aware of that need for God. And once having found him, we need to keep searching for an even deeper knowledge, understanding and love of God. We think of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, who spent his whole life devoted to searching for truth. So we need to love God more, to grow more perfect, ultimately to be a saint, to be more happy with a less restless heart. Ultimately, it is through grace that we come to know and love God more fully, but we need to be open to that grace to cooperate with it. We can get this openness through prayer and ensuring our reason doesn't become too hindered or impeded through our own fault by not exercising reading through Reason through our reading of good material and the way we live our life. So, in the context of evangelization, when we find, know, and love God, we do need to try and help others to find God. This is made clear in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. When Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt becomes tasteless, what can make it salty again? It is good for nothing. And you are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. In the same way, your light must shine in the sight of men so that seeing your good works, they may give praise to your Father in heaven. So what does this actually mean for us? Well, if we look at the second part first, you are the light of the world. We have knowledge, understanding and faith in God, so we can't hide it. Live your life so others can see that light. In reality, it's probably done a little more in the way we use salt, not too much. If we use a little salt, it brings out or adds flavour to the food. If we use too much, we destroy the taste. In, the, in many ways, the way we might bring God to others depends on the context, A little like the story I mentioned at the beginning about the differences in the work of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal with those who live on the streets and the fruits of their work with those who had already heard of God. If you think of England, for example, and the differences really between the North and South, where in the North of England, there are more Catholics, well, nominally more Catholics than in the South. So they're more likely to have heard of God, whereas many in the South may, maybe have less awareness of God and that their dimension of their lives, life, which they're not aware, might be missing. So in many ways, Newman, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, was unusual coming into the church on an intellectual basis when many people who do come into the church do so through contact with other human beings. It's not necessarily an immediate thing, like St Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, but more gradual, perhaps a word many years ago from a person they met, a priest, a pastor, something they heard on the radio which makes them think. But perhaps nothing more at that stage and then a few years later something else which may be the spark that initiates their own search or maybe it's a time of suffering for them we speak a lot about evangelization today and the urgency of evangelization the words which we understand meaning bringing the good news to other others this urgency often gives the impression that a mention of God to someone who knows little of God and is not aware of him or a brief conversation somehow brings them almost immediately to turn themselves towards God. But it's not necessarily the case. But our own conversation may or may not have sown the seed to further their thinking on God and may be a valuable step for them the next time something or someone prompts further thoughts on God. So, in terms of urgency of valueization, evangelization, this is perhaps where we look at a personal level. So, when we think, how do we dialogue with others who don't know God and may not be aware? that that is what or who they're searching for. So start our day-to-day interactions with others, how we treat them, do we give them the time of day, do we forgive their mistakes, do we help if they look like they need it, do we mention God in our conversations, simply if you arrive back from mass and a neighbour passes or someone phones, do we say we've just got back from mass or church and how do we treat ourselves, Do we pray morning and night, partake of the sacraments, get our work done on time to the best of our ability and spend our time wisely? On a higher level and considering dialogue with science and philosophy, the best starting point might be creation, the beauty, the systems, the order it is sustained. And all creatures bear a resemblance to God, but only man is created in his image and likeness. And equally the witness of the church, a vibrant church with doors open during the day, um, times of masses at lunchtimes or the evenings when working people are content, or bringing back all the traditions, the blessing of the throats on St. Blaise's Day on the 3rd of February, or the Corpus Christi procession, or going on a pilgrimage a one-day walk, perhaps, or a visit to Lourdes. So if we come from God and we go back to him, there must be a purpose to life beyond this world. Each one of us must have a reason to be brought into being, and that reason is God. In Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, Frankel, a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, charts his time as a prisoner in the concentration camp during the Second World War and emphasised the need of holding on to a hope for the future. And then we have St. John Henry Cardinal Newman's famous prayer, The Mission of My Life. So i just read the first part of that. God has created me to do some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. So I'm going to stop there now for the moment. So I think we have another music break.
0: Yes, we shall go to another music break. And... um... Just a reminder that if you'd like to ask a question, if anything that um, Dr. Catherine has has mentioned has inspired something in you, or you want her to maybe focus in on something in her talk that that interested you, or clarify something, you're very welcome to call in, and the number to dial is zero one two two three three seven five five six four. That's zero one two two three three seven five. Five six four, and we'll be happy to um, to hand you, your question over to her. In the meantime, let's listen to uh, this piece by John Michael Talbot. It's "I Am the Vine."
3: live in me and you will never die I am the vine and my father is the keeper come to me let the spirit By the living water to stretch its roots into the living stream, you will show no distress in the heat. And my father is the keeper, come to me. Let the spirit
0: Listening to Radio Maria, and this is our hour of catechesis, and um, we have been listening to Dr. Catherine Knowles talk to us about man's search for God. And um, hello, Catherine.
1: Hello, Tim. Are you still
0: are still there? It's been lovely yeah. having you. Um, a reminder that if you'd like to call in and ask any questions, um, uh, the number to dial is zero one two two three three seven five five six four. That's zero one two two three three seven five five six four, and um is going to speak to us a little bit about conscience and uh, something uh, inspired by uh, Joseph Ratzinger, if I if I've got that correct. Um, yes. And uh, you... while we're talking, you're welcome to the lines will be open, and and I'll you're welcome to call. So over to you again, Catherine.
1: Well, I thought perhaps I would just say a tiny bit about conscience because in many ways that belongs to another talk but at the same time it is connected also with natural law which is inborn within us so I'm going to look a little bit at Joseph Ratzinger Pope Emeritus Benedict on conscience and he was very influenced really by Saint John Henry Cardinal Newman where both of them um, speak of conscience as an echo of the voice of God, the connecting principle between the creature and his creator. So if we go back and have a look, St. Basil said, the love of God is not founded on a discipline imposed on us from outside, but is constitutively established in us, As the capacity and necessity of our rational nature. Now, he also refers to this spark of divine love which has been hidden in us. So, in essence, this means we've received interiorly beforehand the capacity and disposition for observing all the divine commandments so we have that capacity and a disposition to act saint augustine talks about that we couldn't judge if one thing is better than another if a basic understanding of that good had not been put in us he refers to it like the original memory of the good and the true which are both the same, the good and the true. And these are implanted in us by the creator, by God, so created in the likeness of God towards the divine. Now this original memory is like an inner sense. It's not a store of facts that we can call upon, it's not. But man has the capacity to hear this inner sense, this inner voice pointing towards God, and then he can seek God. So we do need really to proclaim the gospel because those who have not heard it should hear it and they're also yearning or searching for it. So if they do hear it, they have the chance to recognise this is what they've been seeking and searching or looking for. So this proclamation could have answered the expectations in the Old Testament And today it can be heard, but the culture in which man finds himself, we think today of secularism, relativism, all of this distorts or changes this innate, this original knowledge. But the more man lives in God, talk about fear of the Lord, the clearer and stronger this inner understanding or awareness of God and his law becomes This love of God found in the commandments is not imposed from without, but it's actually within us. So if we think about um, there is this problem today that people see authority imposed from without, which can be problematical. So this spark within us often needs something to ignite it from without. Something is needed to move this interior openness to the truth. We see then through revelation um, that we which we get through Christ and brought into the one body of Christ. And these particular instructions are actually written on us. If we think of the Jonine writings, we know you do not need such instructions instructions as baptized or anointed ones you know everything and how do they know everything it's that initial memory of the simple faith that leads us to discern good and bad so this act of conscience applies the basic knowledge of the particular situation We now have our faculty of reason. We can reason. And it also, conscience depends on the will. Do we block out that inner voice? Do we hear that inner voice, that natural law imprinted on us? If we block it out, what influences our conscience? If we don't block it out, if we listen to it, if we develop it, then we start to form our conscience and that moral formation is important. We do need to have an informed conscience. So I'm going to stop there and leave it Hmm. for your thoughts.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Um, I had a question, actually. I noticed the way in which you speak about the human person, being made in the image of God, though having lost his likeness and having this innate ability to respond um, to Christ differs in some ways to how some Christians would express the human person, Um, perhaps in in a more... It's quite a positive view of the human person. It says that there is still some goodness within us And what would you say to a person who would say that this doesn't um, fully take into account the effects of the fall of man, somebody who feels maybe we're being a bit too optimistic about human nature? Um, Do you have any comments on that, perhaps?
1: One of the things I often think about today is this idea of the sort of Christian anthropology, this understanding of man that we have that is made in both the image and likeness and God, which includes this unity, this one nature, this body and soul. Mm -hmm. And that is very specific, with this um, inner desire, this inner capacity, this inner knowledge for God. If we think today when I've spoken about some of those things like secularism or humanism, they have a different view of the anthropology, the human anthropology, and it does very much ignore um, that spiritual element, the soul, which can really animates the human body, turning it towards God. So dialogue, really, in many ways, um, with um, a humanist person with humanist view of anthropology or more secular view of anthropology, can be difficult um, in many ways because of this particular view of the human person with the body and the soul mm. and that desire and capacity for God.
0: I see i was also thinking in terms of the uh just the more calvinist way of seeing the human person as as being marred by original sin to a point of not really being able to do anything good or um but i'm not sure if if uh, if perhaps this um can speak to that that view at
1: all I think it does, really, because what I said about the um, being born in the image and likeness of God—that that the image of God in man, which makes us most like Him, our inner soul—it's mm. wounded or disfigured, but it's not actually destroyed. So mm. it's still there, and it's through this inner um, capacity that we have within us placed there by God that we can turn more towards God and then through his grace that can be healed can be restored um so it is less disfigured less wounded
0: right yeah that's very interesting um you mentioned one of my favorite authors in your talk uh Peter Craft mm. and I, I uh, I listened to a lot of his talks and, and have learned a lot from him. Um, are there any works by him that you would recommend our listeners to, to read?
1: Well, I think the one I was referring to actually was, he speaks a lot, studied a lot, um, C.S. Lewis. And so I was particularly referring to, referencing C.S. Lewis's philosophy of truth, goodness, and beauty so i think mm-hmm. that would be um worth considering
0: okay i haven't read that one myself but i i'll look at that and um and i would love to actually hone in on the 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 quote that you had there i'm not sure if i got it correctly but you said that we are to the aim is uh, of the human person is to to know the truth to love the good and desire the beautiful
1: Okay. it's Did I get that right? Know the truth, desire the good, okay. and love the beautiful.
0: <laughs> all right. So I almost got it correctly. I think yeah. that's that's wonderful. It
1: isn't? is. It's it is lovely action. I think it's that whole thing that God, of course, is truth. God is good. God mm-hmm. is beauty. So here's all of those, all at the one and the same. So it's knowing the truth. We can we can know God. Yeah desiring the good which we do anyway because naturally it is within us and then loving the beautiful again which is God's that love within the heart I think it's a lovely quote actually
0: it is and is that quote from Peter Craeft or is it from uh, C.S. Lewis or is it Craeft? it's
1: It's... Craeft. it's Peter Craeft, so all right Mm. yeah
0: it is it's tremendous actually um but I
1: think there's a lot more we talk a lot more now about these three transcendentals, the good, the beautiful, and the true. They're very much part of our uh, talking about God, our understanding of god
0: right are you it is um are any of your talks going to dive more deeply into the transcendental properties of being?
1: I think some of them. We've got the various topics that we're studying, and perhaps the last one might actually yes. Mm. Last talk, man's response. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yeah, so, because I, I must say I find that really fascinating and and beautiful. That um...
1: Well, I think today this idea of beauty, the sort of aesthetic um, of it in terms of. Music and art, religious music, religious art, that they are ways, particularly in this whole idea of evangelization, um, that can turn people again towards God. Um, the beauty of liturgical music, the beauty, the particular structure, the particular architecture of churches, the interior of churches, um, what is beautiful and what is it within that church that can help to turn mm-hmm. people towards God.
0: I think the thing that I find so uh, compelling about this way of of presenting the gospel is that it's not the way in which people do modern advertising where they take two things that have nothing to do with each other and and try and entice you into into buying something or being interested in something but it's bringing out the, what's intrinsically there what's what's beautiful about the gospel what's true about the gospel what's good about the gospel um rather than kind of maybe associating the gospel with something completely unrelated to it, to to yeah. bring people in.
1: Yes, no, that's true, actually. Well, the beauty itself, the word of God, what we read in scripture, it's very much so. Yes, well, I think that's right. Marketing, I don't know, can we learn from marketing? I'm not so sure. I love people, so we do. <laughs> Mentioning something three times. If you mention God three times...
0: <laughs> I think I would also be um, on the side of of not having too much to learn from <laughs> from marketing, because yeah, I think that um, if we look at the way that Jesus presents the gospel, it's it's often not necessarily the most attractive uh, way, and yet um, he wanted his disciples to follow him because of the truth of it, you know. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think as well um, today when we sort of, um, you know, think about this nation really of going back to sort of beauty, truth and goodness and the idea that there is a standard, that God is the standard, that there mm-hmm. is truth, God is truth and that's the standard that a lot of people find it difficult to understand that today because we live in a very relativistic world that people feel you know whatever view you have is going to be important that there cannot be truth as such so it's quite difficult to be able to dialogue with people to put that forward today yet that way is the way it leads to fulfillment for human beings Mm. and happiness As St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in the O Lord, which, of course, because we're created by God, we have something of his nature. So if we do something different to go down a different path, it doesn't mean we can't have a meaningful life, but there'll always be something missing. There's always going to be something missing anyway in the human being Mm -hmm. because we can't reach perfection until we get to heaven. But it's less than perfect the further away we are from God.
0: Yes, and I think that's probably a good place for us to um, call today's talk to an end. And just want to thank you for um, a great start to a series of talks given by Mary Vale, which will be same time um, next week for the next uh, five weeks after this. this is the first of six talks. And um, the next talk is on suffering and forgiveness and it'll be given by Dr. Harry um Stickner, I don't think I've said that correctly. You have. <laughs> have I? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and um, I wonder if you would end with a prayer for us uh, just before we, we say goodbye.
1: Okay. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit,
0: Amen. Thank you very much, Catherine. It was wonderful having you.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it a lot.
0: God bless.